Thanks for checking out the Long and Short of It podcast. You can find us on all good podcast platforms and on the YouTube channel, The Subtext. Hello and welcome to the Long and Short of It, the podcast where we discuss each of the games in the Metacritic Top 100 list. My name's Dan and I'm joined by... I'm Lawrence, welcome to the podcast. How are you doing today? Yeah, good. Saturday afternoon. It's all right. It's nice that it's the weekend, you know. Just existing. How about you? All right. That sounds wonderful. Bleak. That's what we all <laughs> want to be doing, existing. <laughs> yep. Um, someone's decided to start mowing the lawn outside the window. So if that comes through, I do apologize. We can look forward to that in the edit. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, apart from that. All good. So, World of Goo. World of Goo was released on the Wii in 2008, and it is number 45 on the Metacritic Top 100 list, with a score of 94. Now, the first thing I wanted to do here was to just give a bit of context. This game was re-released on the Switch in 2017, and the the Metacritic aggregate score for that one is 84. Now I thought that might give a bit of context to our discussion. Anyway, how did you find the game? It was alright. I mean, I think the platforms that we played it on will will change our opinions on it slightly. I mean, you and me discussed this earlier because you played it on the Switch, didn't you? Yes. I opted, because I don't have a Switch, I opted to play it on my iPhone. And I feel that you and me might have had slightly different experiences because of that. Um, But we discussed it in a previous episode about games coming out or reviews coming out as and when they did. And it's harder to get in the top 100 list now. And I feel for its time as an indie game, it was probably quite, you know, forward thinking maybe because it was different. But now I feel that there are a lot of games that are similar to this that have come out that do it better. So... I'm very kind of mixed on this game. Um, And I should probably say to start off with that I haven't completed it. Um, I've played it a fair bit, but didn't manage to complete it just because it's a classic kind of little mobile game that just goes on forever. Very much like Candy Crush, which has got about 70,000 levels. Um, This one's only got 45 levels, apparently. Has it? Yeah. Oh, well, there we are then. Maybe I'm just lazy. Um, so you, so you probably, I don't know, maybe between quarter and half of the way through, I guess. Yeah, maybe. Okay, interesting. Um, but yeah, very mixed, I suppose. How about you? Yeah, um, we'll touch on the versions we played on a bit more after we go over the concept, but it was all right. And I also did not complete the game. Um, this is one of the first ones that I didn't complete. Uh, mainly because I wasn't that great at it, to be honest. <laughs> um, first, let's go over the con- the uh, the concept. So, how would you describe this game? Um, I don't even really know. It's the way I describe it to someone in twenty twenty and beyond is that it's just like a classic mobile game. Um, it's short form levels. I feel the levels could have been shorter though. Um, of basically solving a puzzle that's pretty obvious 
but can be slightly difficult at times, if that makes sense. How about you? Yeah, it's a, it's a physics-based puzzler with 45 different levels. Each level will task you with, do, with doing a certain thing, and the design tends to build on what happened in the last level. So in um, I mentioned to you before we started recording the, the first world, you're kind of introduced to just constructing and then in the second world, they kind of introduce some wrinkles to the formula. So they add balloons and they add some different types of goo. In the third world, they add matches and some more different types of goo. There's one which um, allows you to stick to things. And you've got to, you've got and, to master it, haven't you? It's Yeah, and, and it's just adding things as you go along. So that I see it. I, I imagine... Go on. I imagine if um, I went back to the first world now, I'd find it much easier. But well, <laughs> the... Difficulty does ramp up as you go along. The, the, the way that I see it is very much like the, the whole Zelda dungeon thing, in that when you're playing Zelda games, you go into a dungeon, you get a new gadget or whatever, like, um, I, I don't have much experience to draw from, but say Ocarina of Time, when you get the you get the slingshot, don't you, in the Deku Tree? Yeah. Yeah, so you get the slingshot, and then you've got a bit of time to practice it until you're tested on that item by fighting... Um, uh, what's it called? Uh, what's Are you talking about um, the, the boss in Deku, Deku? Yeah, Goma. So you're, you're tested. The... <laughs> Did you just call it Deku Deku? Deku Deku Tree. See, this is how much I know Zelda. <laughs> it's, it's, it's the, it's great, the Deku great Deku Tree. tree. The De- what am I thinking of? <laughs> oh, I don't know. Just, just creating names. It's been a long week. Um, Do a Zelda but... spin-off. But yeah, it's like um, you get something, you get to practice, and then you're tested. And it feels very... very, Wow, I can't speak. It feels very similar um, with this game, that they throw a new concept at you. You've got time to practice, and then you've got to just proceed, if that makes sense. Yeah, so it's a bit like um, previously discussed game Portal, in that they teach you the basic concept, and they keep layering things onto it. And I like that. I think that's smart design if it's done properly. And it's amazing to me how many games and developers don't do that. Um, they'll just throw something in there without having properly introduced it and expect you to know. Or they'll introduce something, then they'll pile three things on you at once, and you're expected to then adapt. Um, it's not not very good design, in my opinion. Um so you played it on on mobile platforms. You played it on your iPhone. So, how did you? How was that experience for you? Describe that experience to me. Um, well, I said it to you earlier that I don't know. I I wasn't sure if the Switch had touch screen because uh, I don't own a Switch. But my issue with it is like my iPhone is. I've got an iPhone 11, so it's not the smallest of the iPhones, but there are bigger iPhones out there. And I feel that if you're going to play this on mobile, you're better playing it on a tablet or an iPad. A lot of the time I was covering the screen with my fingers when I was playing, so it made it more difficult. And then I'd find myself pulling down on the notifications bar on my phone by accident when I was trying to scroll it, stuff like that. So I feel I would have enjoyed it a lot more if I played it on a console, even though it means you've got to put more time aside to play it because you turn the console on, etc. But... Yeah, I feel this is a game. If you are going to play it mobile, then you want to play it on a tablet, not a phone. Yeah, I think um, the idea of putting your notifications bar down really sounds annoying. Did it about four so times I completely, a day. 
Yeah, and I, and, and I sympathise with that. And on the Switch, it probably is better than that. It's a, You've obviously got a larger screen. You can play it in touchscreen. I, I originally played this using the Joy-Cons. So the Joy-Cons have built-in IR functionality. So you can use them as if they were a Wii Remote. They're not quite as refined as the Wii Remote Plus, though, in my opinion. Wii, but what which, happened which was, was the Wii Remote Plus? Because I don't know too much about the Wii. So the Wii Remote was the original one, yeah, and the yeah. Wii, Wii Remote Plus was the one that kind of added a lot more precision to it. Okay. Um, and it was much more usable, whereas the original Wii Remote wasn't great. Yeah. It was um, so it's a bit more, it's a bit more like the Wii Remote than the Wii Remote Plus, and. What I kept finding was when I was using the Joy-Cons to do it was that I had to keep recalibrating them and centering them and it got really annoying. So I just stopped. I thought I can't play like this. So I played it in handheld, um, used the touchscreen, which was infinitely better. But um, I still would have preferred... I mean, I like I like just using analog sticks. I'm not great with Same. using touchscreens and things like that. It will be remotes and IR sensors. I just want to use a, a controller. Um, yeah, that, so that was my I problem would have with preferred. the Wii U. <laughs> yeah, it, yeah, the Wii U. I mean, oh, the Wii U. The Wii U was a controller, but it also had the stylus and touchpad. But most games just used it as a controller rather than yeah, it was uh, a weird the touchpad. Weird system. I mean, I have yeah. One, but... it, Odd. Yeah, I, I I like I like the Wii U. It was it was a bit quirky, a bit charming, but um, completely <laughs> from a design perspective, uh, complete blunder and poorly poorly advertised. But <laughs> there you go. Um, yeah, so so I carried on playing this in touchscreen mode, and really the only the only thing I ran into was that um, the camera would often um, I don't know go not go where you wanted it to go. And clicking on things was... I mean, actually, the, the, the Switch touchscreen is really good, but uh, I wouldn't say that things always responded how I'd want them to, but I, I imagine that was probably the same as well. You click on one of the uh, one of the Googles, which you use, and you end up clicking on the wrong one or not clicking on the one that you want or flinging it off to the side. I did that a few times. Yeah, as well. I did that a few times as well. Yeah, so so it was it was alright. It was it was fairly enjoyable. Um, I think probably it was it was better played on the Switch than on on the iPhone. Agreed. Now that you mention it, yeah, um, and and maybe um, maybe on the iPad it would have been better. But I think the other good thing about the Switch version is that you can actually play this in co-op. So you can use two Joy Cons, play with someone else, build the towers together. That sounds quite fun to me. I think that'd be quite fun to do. Um, yeah, I, I can imagine it. it, it well, Portal Two has got a co-op mode, um, and you help each other out with that. And obviously, we'll cover that when we come to it. But I find that puzzle games that have a co-op function that they, they can be really fun as long as you're playing with someone that's kind of in the know on how to play it. Otherwise, it can ruin relationships. I feel. I watched. Um, I watched a, uh, two guys playing it on YouTube for their channel. Um, the channel was called Bitblocks or something like that and um, it was pretty funny actually <laughs> one was moving too quickly the other one was moving too slowly and they just weren't working in sync but it was really funny to watch so I imagine there'll be mild frustration but yeah. it'd be quite entertaining um, so a bit of context for this game and I think this is important this was released in 2008 as I said for the Wii and 
this was really one of the earliest WiiWare games and one of the it's described as one of the forefathers to the indie genre which really takes you back to a time when indie games really weren't that popular they're now very very popular you can get them in everywhere to the point where there are some lower quality indie games that are flooding the market but then there are also some really good ones that come out as well um, this was one of the first ones and I think that kind of explains some things about it. Now, from a cost perspective, this would have been much cheaper than a AAA game or even a AA game. So you would be paying less money, but you'd be getting a, a rather complete experience. I mean, this was this is 5 to 15 hours, depending on how quickly you play. Or if you're me, probably close to 30 hours, because <laughs> I'm really not great at this game. But... Um, yeah, so it was one. Of, it was one of the first ones. It was made by three people. Most of the time that they spent making it was in a coffee shop. They sat there in a coffee shop making this game, and it's quite remarkable that three people put together this very polished experience. Um, now I know you've got some thoughts on the indie genre, but I want to first ask you a question, which is, what's the first indie game that you remember playing that you knew was an indie game? Um, I suppose you can push it back and I think this counts because they were developed by independent uh, not not even companies, independent people but do you remember um, the old Playstation demo discs that you used to get in magazines yeah so I'm, I imagine you've heard of it uh, Netty Rose <laughs> no okay so um I wouldn't call this a tangent because it's linked, but Net Rose was um, back in the day. You could buy these PlayStation One consoles that were black from Sony, and they were like developer consoles. Um, and I think Net Rose in Japanese means play together. And what people would do is they would create little um, little mini games as such that they would then send to Sony and Sony would include them on the PlayStation demo discs that they sent out in the magazines. And I remember, I think there's, there's about 60 or 70 of them. Um, and I'd completely forgotten about them until I watched a video on YouTube by Kadikarus where he plays through all of them. And it brought back a lot of memories. And I think the first one that I remember playing like that was a game called Pushy 2. And you're just this little blob that has to push boxes into a goal and if you mess up then or if you block yourself then you have to restart and each of the levels was named a female's name so like level three would be called susan or something it was really weird but those are my first memories of really indie games because i remember just getting them on demo discs and playing them and games like pushy too uh it sounds stupid but i've got really fond memories of that game um so yeah, Net Rose, I suppose. And I'd recommend anyone that is interested in that kind of stuff to look it up because it is really fascinating. And a lot of big developers now um, that work in the AAA industry actually made their first things for Net Rose that they sent into Sony. So yeah, bit of a random tangent there, but I, I think it's really interesting and it's the kind of thing that I think I, I find fascinating. Um, but yeah, how about you? So we... So we can expect to see Pushy 2 on your games that you think would should be 
in the top 100 list I mean, that we do at the end. The fact that Pushy 2 isn't above Legend of Zelda Ocarina of Time, I, I think it's outrageous. Uh, I think it should just be there for the name alone. Well, exactly. <laughs> um, the game that I, rem- I probably played indie games before this, but the game that I remember and really knowing what an indie was, was Journey on the PS3. Yeah. Now, this was around that time. I think that came out in 2008. Oh, was it? And I thought it was a lot later than that. Fair enough. I've never played no, Journey. No, it came out... I mean, it may have been a bit later than that, but I'm sure it was around then. Um, it came out again on the PS4, obviously. So it was PS3 but, originally, wasn't it? Yeah, PS3 originally. And I saw all the... Um, rave critical reviews it was getting and to me it looked a bit like Shadow of the Colossus and Eco so I was in based on that alone and that was a great game, really good game and the PS3 when it came out the gates didn't have the hottest start because they did a massive blunder where they said that they were going to sell the console for 600 US dollars yeah exactly and that, um, that we think that if you want the PlayStation 3, you should get two jobs and <laughs> you should aspire to want to get the PlayStation 3. That was their marketing, so that was um, obviously on point. They were really good with that. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, so so what they had what they had instead, because they didn't like I say, they didn't have the the most red hot start, was they had a big indie push on the console. And this was one of the games that came out. Now there were other ones too. Um, flower, yeah, flower, flow as well, and um, unfinished swan, yeah, things like that. And a lot of these were really, really good games that people remember very fondly. Um, Journey was great, so that was my first, um, I would say, proper indie title. I, I think that Sony really dropped the ball with the indies because they did. It feels well now. It feels a lot more like indies are very much suited to the Switch. But before the Switch became a big thing, I always thought of Indies as going over to the Xbox Arcade store. Um, But I think Sony really dropped the ball with the Vita because I think the Vita would have been a fantastic indie console. And I've got a Vita and I hardly ever use it. Like There are a few games that I've got on there that were Indies, like um, Hotline Miami and a few others. But I think the Vita was the perfect console for indie titles but it, it I mean Sony never really supported the Vita anyway but yeah it, it just feels like Sony started off strong like you say with the PS3 and with Journey and Journey was one of the biggest PlayStation titles in the last kind of 15 years everyone's heard of Journey but I don't know it feels they could have done a lot better with it than just kind of drop it to what it is now and I agree you know putting trash out on the PlayStation store like Life of Black Tiger and things like That's, that you know? in my that's in my 10 that's going in the top 100. Oh, is it? Well, if that's it, I'm leaving. You can do this podcast on your own. I'm not playing Life of Black Tiger. <laughs> and when we when we get there, I want us to both complete it. Oh, that'd be really good. That'd be fantastic. Maybe we'll do um, suggestions afterwards and people will suggest, suggest some awful games like Ride to Hell Redemption. and <laughs> Oh, Retribution. Oh, yeah, that's the one. Big, and, and big the, rigs uh, over the road racing. Yeah, big rigs. Yeah, that's the one. And <laughs> Superman 64, obviously. And the slaughtering grounds. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, I agree with you. I think um, what some people have pointed out is that at the start of a generation, when Sony's games aren't so thick on the ground, they rely on indies. And then as the generation goes on, they drop them. it slips. And they've just done an indie uh, thing for PS5, I think. So it shows that they've got renewed interest again. Well, Let's see how long that lasts. The, the PS5 trailer that you and me watched, it felt like it's there were quite them, a few it? indie looking games in there. They might not be indie, they might be AA or AAA games, but they, they had quite an indie feel about a lot of them. Because yeah, I definitely. remember saying to you after we watched that trailer, I thought the PS5 um, thing that they released wasn't that great. Um, but it felt like there were a lot of quite interesting indie games that were featured on Yeah. There. Yeah, I, th- I feel like it was it was really good from that perspective. There was a lot of, s- of good stuff on um, looking well coming out on there, but I think from the first party lineup, I don't know, it didn't do as much for me. Yeah. Um, but in terms of indie games, yeah, definitely. And um, I think um, Switches has become the natural place for it because you can play them in handheld. And on the screen, and it's great to do that. It's inherited that, I suppose, from the Vita. And the other thing I wanted to say was that um, I think Sony's indie drive has been a bit better when it comes to um, PlayStation VR. Yeah, yeah. There's that thing called Moss, which is the thing about the mouse um, that looks really cool that was released on VR. And then there's there's some Sony ones on there as well that look good. Like indie games over the past kind of 10. 10 years or so have really become a force on their own. And I think they can really stand up against the triple a industry. Obviously they they don't have as much money, but I mean, (coughs) if you look at games and this will probably be in my 10, once we finish the top 100, uh, if you look at games like Cuphead, um, that's, that's basically an indie game, but yeah, definitely. Yeah, definitely. the, The amount of work and effort that went into that game is insane. And it was all hand drawn and, it's it's just crazy, like the creativity that a lot of people have, but you know it, it doesn't it doesn't get um, as much recognition, which is a shame. But I'm glad that indie games, uh, my voice massively broke then, uh, but I, I'm glad indie games kind of are becoming a lot more prominent, and they've become a lot more prominent over the past ten years, and I feel they're just growing and growing. Um, even so, you look at indie game the movie uh, that you and me watched um, a few years ago. I only focused on three games, but you know, when Fez came out, that was one of the biggest games of the year. Yeah, absolutely. And I think you talked about innovating in the Metacritic list, and I agree with you. I think the innovators tend to score more highly than those that kind of follow the flow. And I think nowadays it's the indie games that are doing that. They're innovating um, much more than AAA studios can afford to do. Because if you're a AAA studio and you're spending this much money on a game, you've got a staff of this many people. You've got to churn it out. Pays to, yeah, it pays to stay safe. And um, I think indie games are really pushing that. I mean, there, there's some great... Um, indie games that have come out and what what seems to happen more and more is that different um, publishers pick them up in terms of you get uh, Microsoft Studios producing a lot of indie titles you've got um, they bought the indie company that did Ori and the Will of the Wisps didn't they Mm. and Ori 2 yeah and obviously Cuphead as well which is now Microsoft owned it is and 
I played some fantastic um, indie stuff on my PS4, which was uh, things like Everybody's Gone to the Rapture, and that may be on my 10, because I I, I love that game. That was great. Yeah. The, so good. The, they're, um, those games, they're kind of in a in an area of their own, aren't they? Like the walking sim. So you've got Everybody's Got to the Rapture, uh, Gone Home, What Remains of Edith Finch. Um, they're, they're kind of their own genre, even though they're indie. And I remember everybody's gone to the rapture. Everyone was um, very mixed on it. I've not played it, but I it looks it. interesting. I loved it, but then I'm British, obviously. Yeah. Um, and it's a British setting, but it is so, so distinctly British yeah. that I got kicks out of it. It felt to me like I was walking around a small British town mm. and I was I was getting really like nostalgia things from when I was a kid. Yeah. Um, but if you're playing in Europe or America or Asia, then you're not going to have that same uh, connection to it. No, so that's that's no. why I loved it. Well, I think you'd really like it. It it seems as well these days that indie games are very much um, they're pushed as things to go viral. So I mentioned to you the other day um, getting over it with Bennett Foddy, which I know you've not played, but it became this. It basically became a meme. And that's what made it so big. And more recently, you could say the same of Untitled Goose Game. It, it just became a huge meme, which made it more popular and made more people want to download it. And it was the reason that I downloaded it, because I, I saw it on YouTube. I was like, that looks really weird. Okay, let's have a go playing as a goose. You know, it's, it's just so varied, I find, the indie scene. And I think it's really good because it just breeds creativity, doesn't it? Yeah, exactly. I mean, that's what happens if if your resources are limited, if you don't have all the tools at your disposal, you have to find shortcuts to avoid um, spending all the money and putting all the development time in. Yeah. And what's what's the saying with... Um... <laughs> Completely brain dead. Something comes innovation. Oh, with... I, think, I don't know what you mean. I can't think what it is, but I, I know where you're coming from. That, that famous phrase that has completely slipped my mind. Same. Um, okay, so on to our regular section, which was introduced in the Last of Us 2 episode. The new regular. Gameplay is king. And now, how does the game control? How do you think it controlled for you? We've kind of touched on this a bit, but we'll, we'll, we'll touch on it again. Fine. It, it controls as any other mobile game does. It, it very much reminded me and gave me flashbacks to Angry Birds. It's a classic controlled mobile game. Like It isn't the tightest, but it works well for what it does. It, it doesn't need to be you know, the tightest thing ever. It just needs to be loose and do what you want it to do, which it does. So I wouldn't say it controls amazingly, but it, it controls well for what it is. Yeah, I'm the same as you. It's, it's, it's all right. It's, that's, um, yeah, that's the word I'd use. It's, it's all right. It's all right, and and the camera is a bit wonky, and things don't always do what you want them to do. It's all right. It's I suppose it's all right from what you'd expect of a puzzle game released in two thousand and eight. Yeah. Um. Maybe our standards have changed a bit there uh, since then. I think. Um. So. Is it fun? Um. For a bit. <laughs> like. The concept of it's fun, but I think it's got a novelty to it, and I think the novelty wears off because it. The, the problem that I had with this game is I was playing this up until about twenty minutes before we started recording, 
and I'd been stuck on the same level for about a week and I didn't know that you could skip levels. So about an hour and a half ago, I really didn't like this game because I couldn't get past the level. It was agitating me. So I stopped playing it and then Dan was like, oh, you can skip levels. I was like, oh, right, that changes everything. And then as soon as I got past that level, I started having fun again. So I, I don't think it would be fair of me to say that it isn't fun, but I think it has a novelty and that novelty can wear off quickly. Um, but it just depends on if you're really into these kind of games, then it wouldn't wear off you. But because I'm very kind of middle of the line with them, I was like, oh, okay, this is fun for a bit. And, you know, maybe I'll go back and play it again, but it isn't the most fun I've ever had with a mobile slash indie game. Yeah, I'm right there with you. I think the best way to experience this game is to play it in short bursts. Yeah. And one of the problems with that is that, like you alluded to earlier, the levels are longer than they really should be. So you can spend around 20 minutes doing a level at times. Um, and obviously that's not the kind of level that lends itself to short plays. Yeah. So that's a bit of a fundamental problem with it. But yeah, it is fun in short bursts, um, especially when you get some of the really inventive levels that you get to later on that are much shorter and that really make you feel like um, you've achieved something when you complete them. They're nice. Um, now, I don't know if you're going to have an answer to this, but what's your favourite bit of the gameplay? Of the gameplay? Um, I suppose... I don't know, like... I don't know, that's a hard question. I suppose because I didn't get super far into it, and I said to you before we started, I was like, I wish I knew about this level skip earlier because I'd have got a lot further. But from what I played, I suppose, I mean, I really like the graphics and the, the look of it, but in terms of gameplay, probably the use of balloons and when you construct something and you get higher and then you can start deconstructing it to get higher when you don't need that bottom bit anymore, if you know what I mean. Yeah. Yeah, that's cool. What about you? I liked. I mean, as 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 you said, I di I didn't complete this either. I got to the third world, and that you you unlock the ability to set goo on fire. They're kind of like match matchstick goos, and they just all combust, and that's great. That's that's fun. They're my favorite level so far. Mm. Um, so that was a lot of fun. That's that's my favorite bit. Um. The, that was the section, Gameplay is King. Look forward to that next week. There you go. <laughs> um, okay, so you, you mentioned the uh, presentation there. So so what do you like about the presentation? It's very colourful, isn't it? I feel, I mean, we're coming back off playing The Last of Us Part 2, which graphically is an incredibly, incredibly pretty game, but it's a bit bleak. And then you immediately go into something like World of Goo, and it's very bright, it's very cartoony, and it's the polar opposite. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, those are the kind of games that I grew up playing on the PS1. Things like Crash Bandicoot, Spyro, uh, Gex the Gecko. And they were very vibrant, colourful games. Tomba. And yeah, to Tomba. Tomba. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I kind of like how vibrant it was. And, and at times there were levels that were a bit dark and red, greys, blacks. But overall, I think the, the colour palette on it was very aesthetically pleasing. Yeah, 
I think it's a it's a nice game to look at. It does have a bit of um, a flash game vibe oh, to 100%. it. Oh, hundred percent. Like Newgrounds.com but vibe. Yeah, but it's uh, that's, it's that's, all put that's together a, quite nicely. That's a, and there's some nice anim- Yeah, I remember the uh, cycling games on there. Mm. And yeah, um, yeah, it, it looks a bit like that, but it's really slickly put together and it's animated a lot better than those games were. Yeah, of course. And there are a lot of moving parts in the environments. There's a level I don't know if you got to this bit. There's a level where you have to use wind and it's just gusting along the screen. Yeah, yeah. And blowing things in the background is uh, really quite nice. Yeah. Um, yeah. Presentation was quite nice. It's quite slick. And then again, when you when you when you consider the fact that three people made this game, it's really quite a polished looking experience. I mean, there's there's nothing about that presentation that I would say, ooh, looks ugly. That. Um, yeah. I so, I suppose that's the biggest compliment I can. I can pay, I can pay the uh, presentation and in terms of menus and stuff as well it's all rather slick um, now the thing that I kept raving to you about whilst I was playing this is the soundtrack the soundtrack is fantastic I adore this soundtrack I think it's so 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 good um, I mean how do you describe a soundtrack it's, it's, it's very epic sounding and it just really fits with what you're doing you seem to be doing these kind of little mundane things with the goo but you've got this epic sweeping soundtrack in the background and we talked about the final levels in each world before we started recording they're a bit different to the other levels and they kind of there's some like story elements to them and you've got the big sweeping soundtrack and you're doing these things and it it's really i mean i would listen to this soundtrack outside of the game yeah that's how good i think it is yeah i, um, I was about to say that there, there are some games where the soundtrack really stands out and maybe I'd listen to it outside of the game. I don't really listen to game soundtracks much anymore. Like I'll occasionally listen to the Portal theme, but that's kind of been taken over on my playlist by like lo-fi beat uh, playlists. But it's one of those things that you could just sit back and listen to, similar to Portal, similar to Fez, uh, similar to Minecraft. You could just listen and you don't have to really gauge in with it you can just enjoy it and not think about it if that makes sense it's it's a good yeah. soundtrack and it's got very good music um admittedly i only started listening to the music on it about two or three days ago when you when you told me to because my phone's always on silent and with my phone on silent if i open a game it's going to play silently um but no the music is very good and i agree with you on that i didn't experience as much of it as you did but what i did experience was enjoyable and i think it was very well put together yeah i agree and and again same three creators put together this wonderful soundtrack now originally i think the uh the, the the different pieces of the score were supposed to be used on different projects but they managed to fit them all together and each part of the soundtrack really fitted the level it was implemented in um i think this is a case where for me the soundtrack elevates the game um without this soundtrack i don't think this game would be as good or considered as highly i think this soundtrack it just shows i mean people talk about film it just shows what a good soundtrack can do for you yeah i mean imagine one of the great films imagine lord of the rings without the, the soundtrack <laughs> it would just be rubbish yeah 100 <laughs> percent. music had so much and you don't really think about it until you actually really do think oh yeah okay this is something like like you say you try and watch a film like that with no music it gives you a completely different 
feel to it and a completely different um you know vibe i suppose imagine frodo shouting gandalf without <laughs> yeah i just want to look as good <laughs> uh, give them a moment for pity's sake <laughs> Oh, just imagining it. Um, yeah, so the soundtrack was brilliant, and I, I don't really know what to compare it to. It's it's, it's quirky. Um, some people I saw described it as a Danny Elfman esque soundtrack, which yeah, definitely agree with. Um, there's a, there's a bit of Tim Burton in this game. It's very quirky. Yeah. And the other thing I wanted to talk about was the writing because I said to you that it reminds me a bit of Portal in the writing because you've got this really sign painter. Um, yeah, yeah, the sign painter's a bit like GLaDOS. And it's got this quirky, sarcastic humour. And it's the idea that this world... Oh, we touched on this, this sci-fi... This, it's a bit of a sci-fi game in that way. Um, there's stuff going on with this mysterious corporation that you don't really know about. And they're controlling all the, the goo stuff. In the same way that Portal, you've got this big shady corporation. And you're the little man. Again, it's the same kind of thing here. And I, lo- I love that concept. Um, I think Portal did it better, but I love the concept of it. Um, and the last thing I really wanted to touch on was the physics. Uh, because it is a really good physics game. I mean, everything works. Everything's got weight to it. You've got gravity. You've got, obviously, fire. You've got wind. You've got um, the balloons that can take you upwards. And they just keep adding to it. So it's really impressive in that way. Um suppose do you have anything to add about the writing and physics i don't really think so i mean my my thoughts on the physics are again they're all right like they they work and i think a lot of it is linked in with the control like i'd often find myself pinging little green bits of goo off into the ether when i made a mistake i'm like oh good okay great um but obviously the physics are there to make some areas a lot more difficult such as when you're building bridges um and you've really got to think about it but i'd say for what they are they work well and i love a physics game and this isn't i wouldn't even put this in my top 10 for like physics based games but it works well for what it does and i think it's it's a nice little uh nice little niche that it's got breath of the wild is my number one physics game because the stuff that you can do in that game is unbelievable um Especially in the scope with the scope of the world as well, but yeah, um, it, it's it's a nice challenging game, World of Goo, um, and it is very challenging. And it and it, and you found it challenging. I found it challenging. Um, some of the people that I've seen talk about it found it cha- challenging. Yeah, it's not easy. So there's, it's not. First of all, you have to kind of work out what you need to do. That's the starting thing. And as you progress further into the levels, that becomes less and less obvious. Um, because you're trying to get these goo balls into a pipe and sometimes you can't even see that pipe from your starting position so you've got no idea how you're going to get them there and it's kind of multi-layered in that way so first you've got to work out what you're going to do and then you have to work out how you're going to do it and that's when it gets really difficult because the goo constructions that you make don't stay still if they stayed still it would be so much easier um, but with gravity, wind, and all these other elements, and the fact that they're goo, so they're kind of like jelly, uh, yeah. means that they can't stay still. Um, so you've got all these physics elements, and I think it's um, really nicely implemented. Now, 
uh, it feels like it feels like this has been a bit of a flatter episode, and this I suppose is because not much neither of us were to talk about. Are there? It's yeah. So it's kind of running through the gamut of of um, things to break it down, mm. and I don't think either of us were deeply, deeply enthusiastic about the game. No. Um, so, which kind of brings us on to our wrap up. Um, what's your worst moment in this game? What was the moment where you wanted to fling your phone at the wall? Um, I mean, the level that I got stuck on for like a week. And it was, it was on World 1, so it's not even like it was a particularly hard level. But I think it was called Ivory Towers. Um, and you're basically in the middle of these two pillars. And the pillars are getting further and further away from each other. And you have to climb up through the middle. And yeah, I, I didn't, I didn't enjoy that. I didn't enjoy that at all. And then when I found out earlier today that you can skip it, and that's when I started having a lot more fun. So I'd say, I, I mean, I can't even say that specific level. I'd, I suppose I'd say the challenge and the fact that I struggled to play a game that ideally was meant for children that early stage um, that, that I couldn't do. But. <laughs> There you go. That, that sums up my skill in gaming. Just can't get past yeah, the level for a child. Yeah, I think both of us pro gamers here. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, there's there was a there was a level. I think it was like an offshoot level in level one, which was where you had to build a tower to get to a pipe. And there's no. You mentioned that one to me earlier. No, there's wind in that, isn't there? I don't know. Can't remember. Um, I played it a while ago, but there's no kind of st- structures to support you on your way up, and it's quite high that you have to get it. Yeah, I did so that you one just got to be really good. I didn't find that one too difficult. It took me a while, but it, I, I didn't get irritated with that one. But I know that you did. Yeah, I gave I gave up on that one, and I haven't. I've not gone back to it since um, since I played mm. it initially. So I did think earlier that I could probably do it now because I looked, and it's not that high. No, but I think probably. My skills doing it at the time were a bit rubbish. Mm. And I, I watched someone else trying to do that level. Because when you first play it, I think, whereas you probably became quite skilled doing the same level over and over again. Oh, so. yeah, yeah, really good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I watched I watched, um, I watched these, these two guys that were playing co-op try and do it, try and do it, and they gave up as well. Um, but I wanted to mention this. Apparently, um, you know that you can get more Googles than um, you need to get in a level to complete it. Yeah. There's a there's an extra mode where OCD. there's a leaderboard. Sorry. OCD mode. No, no, it's it's a different mode that you access from the main menu, oh, okay. and you, you're basically using all the Googles that you've collected to build as high a tower as you can. Oh, that sounds cool. And there's a global leaderboard. Um, so obviously people are competing to build the highest tower that they can. Oh, that's quite a cool thing. Um, yeah, I like stuff like it's, that. It, structurally, it's just it's it's a nice setup. It's a nice little game. Um, I suppose it's just does it deserve to be on this list? So what do you think? Not really. It <laughs> it, it it links with. They meet your words. No, I mean it links with what we've said before that. It feels a lot like front runners and forerunners from a few years ago are the ones that get to the top of this list. And this game was good for its time and what it did. However, there have been games since then that are similar to this that have done it better. That I feel if this was the spot for an indie slash mobile game, it it could easily be knocked off by five other games that I can think of from the top of my head. Um 
I feel it's on here because when it came out, it was one of the first of its kind. So people loved it and they jumped on the review bandwagon and scored it high. And then since then, obviously, standards have gone up. So other games have come out and they haven't scored as highly. So it's a good game. And I'm, I'm not saying that it isn't fun, it isn't enjoyable, because it is. But I just don't think that it's really got a place on this list, if I'm honest. You sound like the guy from EA that was... Uh commenting on the Eurogamer. Oh, about FIFA. <laughs> Top 10 for the year, yeah. So, bit of context there. Um, someone from EA, Eurogamer put out a top 10 list for the year 2008 and the creator of FIFA 2009, which is always released a year before, uh, commented saying, oh, I'm just not sure that World of Goo should be there. And it turned out that this person hadn't played the game. Um, yeah, which shows the problem with <laughs> the games industry um where do, where do i agree you with you there are, yeah i agree i think um there are, there are games that are probably do it better it's not it's not my style of game anyway no. um i mean you know that i didn't play portal before because to me portal didn't look like my style of game i'm not i'm not a huge puzzle game fan mm. um but portal surprised me but this is how um, I thought I would feel about Portal, I felt about this game, which was just that it's not for me. I'm not the target audience for this. Um, so as for whether it deserves its place, to, place on the list, I'm always going to say that indie games deserve their place on the list because yeah. it breaks up all the AAA games. And um, it's just nice and refreshing to have something a bit different, even if it wasn't for me. Um, there are other games on this list that are indie games that are for me. Um, I completed Celeste. That's on the list. Very, very challenging game. But it probably does deserve to be there. Um, but we'll get to that at some point, obviously. Yeah, same um, Yeah, and I've not played that one. Um, as for whether I could recommend it, I'd say if you're watching the video version... Um, if you like what you see, if you think you'd have the patience for that, or you'd have the time to just sink in every now and again to play it, then yes. If anything about that is setting off alarm bells in your head, then steer clear. Yeah. What about you? Well, that, that's the thing. Like, I don't think it should be on this list, but I'd recommend it to people. Like, if they're like, oh, I'm looking for a mobile game, I'd try World of Goo. I mean, you got pay. You got to pay for it on the App Store. And there's a lot of free games you can get, but I mean, <laughs> yeah, it's, I, I see it as a time killer. It, it's the kind of thing that I play when I was waiting for something or if I was traveling on a bus or something or a train, not that I ever do get buses or trains, but you know, um, I'd, I'd recommend it to someone that was looking for something a little bit different to play on their phone. Um, so yeah, I'd recommend it. How much did you pay for it on your phone? Um, I think I spent about five pounds. Yeah, it's cheaper. So on the Switch, it's like I think I paid twelve pound for it. Oh wow! Okay. Um, that's the old Switch tax. Switch tax coming into play. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> but but you had the uh, yeah. you had the the better experience with it though with a bigger screen. So you you paid for the screen yeah. size. Yeah. Still didn't do much in the end. No. I did it to to, <laughs> to to brighten my outlook on it. Mm. Um, okay, so next week. 
yeah for us i mean and and as we say this is all subjective if you really like this game then that's fine let us know that you like this game um i completely understand it there are games that are that people like that other people don't and it's not that i dislike this game um it's just like i say it's i would rather be playing other things yeah um so next week we've got a game that both of us are much more excited to play and to talk about, which is uh I believe it's Call of Duty for Modern Warfare, correct? That is correct. Yes, Call so. of Duty Modern Warfare 4. And I believe we'll both be playing the remastered version, is that correct? Uh yes, I've got it on the PS4 Pro and I think you've got it on the Xbox, haven't you? Yes. So leave us a comment. Like um let us know what you think we're on instagram now as well um which is a, is a new thing uh but if you want to find us on instagram we are at long and short of it pod and yeah that is all i've got to say anything else from you nope just see you on the next one yep hope you enjoyed it and we'll talk to you next time cheerio